0: If you don't mind, let's turn together to 1 John chapter 4. As Rick prayed, there are a few people here this morning that we didn't expect to see. So, Darla, it's great to have you here. I don't even see you, Darla, but I know I saw you out in the lobby. You're here somewhere. You're up right back there. It's great to have you here. Mary, I can't believe you're here. It's great to see you. Terry for you were sick this past week. More sick than we most of us knew, so it's good to have you here. We uh, we take it for granted the uh, the days that that we live, and we don't always know what each day will hold. But all flesh is like grass, right? And the older we get, the more we feel that, right? Right. (laughs) That's the way life works. Um, So be. Be careful to, uh, to greet those around you. You never know the, the heavy burden that people are carrying around you. And also be watchful, be vigilant to, to notice those who aren't with us this morning. There are a number of people who are traveling, or who are ill or other things, and I encourage you to be thoughtful about how you can reach out to them. There's very little that is more encouraging than to know that you were noticed. That sounds really simple, right? But most of us struggle with that. So, so get better at that. Make yourself notes if you're not the kind of person who's naturally good at that. But it's really important to be noticed. And so take a minute. Uh, nobody's going to think you're weird sometime during the teaching time. I won't think you're distracted or uh, checking up on uh, your favorite football team's draft draft picks. Uh, but look around you. Notice people around you. Look around you and notice people that you don't know. There, there are people who are sitting here today who are new. So uh, notice people. And we'll talk more about that from our text today. So in First John chapter 4, we're going to focus particularly on verses 13 through 21. This text will reveal to us two topics. The first is faith, the second is love, and both of these things, faith and love, are created by and nourished by the Spirit of God. And these two things, faith and love, are created by and nourished by the Spirit in us, to give us assurance that we belong to God. We have seen, as we have worked through 1 John up to this point, that John was concerned that these churches, probably just a handful of churches in and around the ancient city of Ephesus, held fast to the gospel, that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh fully God, fully man, and that those who confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh fully God and fully man will be characterized by obedience to God and by living a life of love. And so throughout this short letter... John comes back to the major theme of confession of the God-man who is alone the Savior of the world. And then out of that, those who confess this, who hold fast to Jesus Christ as the exclusive Savior of the world, that these people will be characterized by obedience to the one true God, and loving like the one true God has loved. John was concerned that these churches held fast to these things because there were those who had gone out from them and had left these things behind, somehow thinking that through superior or even perhaps mysterious attainment of knowledge that they had found a better way. That that Jesus was was necessary for salvation, perhaps, but, but not sufficient. And because they no longer held fast to Christ as the exclusive and sufficient Savior, obedience had become sort of superfluous. It wasn't important anymore because they were charting their own course and got to make up their own rules. Furthermore, because they had a deep idolatry of self, because they had come up with their own version of the good news, they became so self-focused and self-concerned that they had left off love for others. And so there is always a trickle-down effect. If the gospel gets eclipsed, that the Son of God took on flesh to die in our place, and was raised again victorious over sin and death. If that, the simplicity of the gospel, gets eclipsed, then all the dominoes start falling. And you end up with a version of Christianity, which in fact is not Christianity at all. And so John wanted his readers, these these. Beloved saints for whom he was responsible in the early church in Ephesus to hold fast to the gospel and the marks of true Christianity. But as we will see as we go through this text today, John cared about more than their cognition. That is to say, he wanted them to be more than just knowledgeable followers of Jesus. He wanted them to devote themselves, head, yes, it's not less than that, but body and soul, the very core of their beings, to be committed to the one who had come to save them, and of course, also to each other. So John writes in these verses about truth. But he wants those who embrace this truth to embrace more than just truth, to embrace goodness or virtue, and to embrace the beauty of Christ. So let's read the text today, and hopefully we can begin to see this a bit. Hear God's word. By this we know, 1 John four thirteen, that we abide in him and he in us, Because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And may God bless to us the reading of his word. John, in this text, is not primarily exhorting us to action. And that annoys us a little bit. Because as common sense, enlightened Westerners, basically we want to know what should we do. Now, we will tease out some implications from this text... Implications which will lead us to certain conclusions about how we should think and live. But primarily, what John is doing here in this text is affirming the saints. And there's encouragement in that. We tend to be embarrassed people, we tend to struggle with affirming one another in love. We have lots of good thoughts in our heads, but by and large, we tend to struggle with actually saying out loud the things that we love or are thankful for in other people. It's interesting as you read the Bible, the Bible is many things, but if it is anything, it's a record that God is never embarrassed to affirm His children And John, as a devoted follower of Jesus, he who really grasped the heart of Jesus, perhaps more than any other human that ever lived, John was a devoted student of theology, but John was also a bit of a mystic. And one who grasped the heart of Jesus was not afraid to affirm the saints. And so that's one of the things that I want you to come away with today, those of you who have submitted to Jesus and are banking on Him, are, are trusting Him alone and devotedly for eternal life, to, to see these words as affirmation. For those who perhaps are considering the claims of Christ, you have not yet given yourself over to the Christian faith, you are examining it, considering it, I want you to see in this text what God has done for you and the beauty that is in Christ, he who calls you to himself. And then I also want all of us to see that that this community of faith, our church, can be the kind of place that is devoted to the gospel, the truth of Jesus, but also the implications of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus on display. For if we want to be anything as a church, we want to be a church where we radiate the beauty of Jesus because there are thousands of people all around us who don't see it. The first thing that this text, or perhaps we could say the main thing that this text reveals to us is that the Spirit assures us that we belong to God. That is the main idea of the text. But he does that in two ways. So the Spirit assures us that we belong to God. And the first way that he does that is by creating within us a deep assurance of faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. So the first way that the Spirit assures us that we belong to God is by creating within us a deep assurance of faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Notice in verse 13 that John says, By this we know, this is not a cocky, arrogant faith, it is a, a humble faith, that it is a settled conviction. John is saying here something pretty profound something that if you were a student of church history, at least through most of church history, would have been seen as impossible. But John says we can know that we belong to God. In fact, he says something much more profound and mysterious than that. He says that we can know that we abide or remain in him, And that God actually abides in us. That, I think, we don't really understand. And I'm not really sure if pressed we could actually believe it. Because the truth of the matter is, even those of us who understand the Christian faith well, the gospel well, know That very often, we don't look like, sound like, smell like God abides in us, right? Let's just say hypothetically that we are the kind of people that perhaps, since we last gathered, used our tongues, which are meant to bless, to harm someone close to us. Now, this is rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hands, but does that catch any of you? Let's get internal for a moment. Things that only you and God know. Hypothetically, it's possible since the last time we gathered that you have had an evil thought in your head. You've coveted. You've lusted. You've been violently angry with your wife or husband or possibly your children or each other in the recent days. If we're being really honest, we struggle to believe that the God of eternity, who is three times holy, could actually abide in us. But, but John says we can. And how is that possible? Because he's given us his spirit. So when it really comes down to it, our salvation is, is triune. It's accomplished by the Trinity from beginning to end a covenant was made before the foundation of the world that we would be saints, children of God. The father and son agreed that the son would come and die in our place and we would pass from being enemies to becoming children. And then Jesus really did that. He came and died in our place. And the father punished him in our place. But then the father raised him back up And all who come to Jesus in faith, come to him in faith because God the Spirit has given them new birth, he who is the spirit of adoption, actually making us sons and daughters of the God against whom we were at one time rebel against, and then seals us for the day of redemption so that our salvation will be complete. So from beginning to end, how are we saved? By God. And God makes sure it will happen from beginning to end. It is in his hands. And he has actually taken up residence inside us by his spirit so that we can have humble assurance that we belong to him. And notice that John says in verse 14 that that he and his compatriots, the apostles, actually have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then whoever confesses, verse 15, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. John speaks with, with humble assurance in this text, and this is accomplished by God, by God the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. But then conversely, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So if you deny Christ, you don't belong to Him. But if you... Admit that Jesus is Lord. This speaks to his just rule over all things. And his just rule over all things is given to him by God. And God does not share that except with himself. God will never share his glory or his authority with anyone but himself. But Jesus is part of the Godhead. And to confess that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, who has come to rescue us from sin, that we might submit to him as his subjects. How is this possible? How can we pass from from having rejected him, because we're born into sinful rejection of the one true God, to now accepting him and embracing him? How is this possible? By the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, Paul further says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or dear Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. How is it that we embrace Jesus as our Savior and brother and God as our Father? This is done by the gift of the Spirit. This is divine. It is from above. We didn't meet God halfway. Gospel love is always top down. It always comes down to us. How can I illustrate this? One of the very best parts of my job is that I get to see people at their very best. Now, also, I sometimes see people at their very worst. But one of the best parts of my job is I get to see people at their very best. Moments when they are so marked by dependence on God's Spirit that their lives are fully leveraged for the good of others. I love those moments. Moments when, when people look a whole lot like Jesus. Do you want to know one of the most beautiful and God-glorifying characteristics of Berlin Church? There are many, but do you want to know one that stands out? Proof that God is at work in us to make us more and more like Jesus. It's the number of families that have adopted or fostered children, and there are more sitting here today than you know. We considered on Good Friday the horrific cost and mysterious wonder of Jesus undergoing divine abandonment by his Father for the purpose of giving us the hope and assurance that we can be sons and daughters of God, that never fear being cast aside or left alone. The gospel teaches us this, that we have been adopted by God. And Jesus underwent orphanhood temporarily to allow us this privilege. But the conviction of many in our church is that because of what God has done in adopting us and what Jesus has done in becoming temporarily orphaned to allow us to be adopted by God, that one of the convictions of a lot of families in our church is that that we should display that, we should reflect that by, by actually adopting and caring for foster children in our community. I've recently been able to watch adults that were adopted as very young children rise up and call their parents blessed. I've watched... Andy and Kim Scott, who are here with us today, most of you don't know this, give up two family vacations to sit beside the bed of their foster son who was sick. Nurses at Children's Hospital have told me recently on two different occasions that it is not uncommon for them to see babies left with no one to sit beside them because there's nobody who cares for them, and nobody who is giving up their time to be with them. Andy and Kim's little boy didn't know he needed them, he won't remember it, but they believe in a heaven-initiated love that leverages grace for the weak and the needy. That's what real grace looks like. It's good and it's beautiful. And my friends, that's what this text is teaching us, that formerly we were, we were enemies of God. We were far from him we would have lived in a cursed state and would have passed into eternity under the wrath of God. But look what God has done. God has given us the privilege of being in his family. And to really grasp that, we have to understand what it took. It took the death of Jesus and the gracious love of the Spirit to, to bring us back into the family of God. And those who have been adopted or those who are caring for adopted children or those who need foster care, they, they grasp that. They grasp what it looks like to take one who didn't have a family and, and bring them into a family by sacrificial grace. And that, that gets at the heart of this text. God is not ashamed to, to make us his own through his son. Jesus was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And the Spirit is not ashamed to take up actual residence inside of us and give us the assurance that we belong to God. In John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This reminds us of what John says here in 1 John 4. He and his friends were were eyewitnesses to the truth, but the Spirit was also given as a witness to draw attention to Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles say, not long after the church is founded, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. How does that apply to us? Well, we are not eyewitnesses. We weren't there 2,000 years ago when Jesus lived in the flesh and performed many miracles and died in our place and rose again from the grave. But, but we live in the tradition and in the heritage of those who were. And we can have the same confidence that that we are witnesses to his power and to his grace. And so this calls us then to take this message, just like John did and just like he called the church in Ephesus to, to those who desperately need it. There is an an evangelistic implication about this. Because it's possible that there are some sitting here today who have not yet trusted Jesus, I want to say to you as one who has been saved by grace, that I speak on the behalf of the rest of our church family, that there is nothing good in us which commends us to the love of God. Anything good in us has been created from above, but Jesus has been given to us as a gift and we've been brought back into the family of God, not because we're moral, not because we're virtuous, but because God is full of love. And you can be part of this story too. But we have neighbors and friends and family members all around us who don't know what this looks like, who long to belong, who want to be noticed, who fear condemnation, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And we have good news. So my friends, Let's not hoard it. Let's not hide it. Let's not be embarrassed by it. It's the kind of love that made us children. It's the kind of love that called us sons and daughters. It's the kind of love that made us belong. And people all around you, whether you know it or not, they want to belong too. And they might not even know it. And so embrace the doctrine of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh to die for you and was raised again victorious over sin and death. Believe that, know that, but embrace it as beautiful as well. And as the Spirit creates this beauty within you, it will radiate out from you in your speech and in your love. And this brings us to our next point. The Spirit assures us that we belong to God by creating within us a deep assurance of faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. But also, secondly, by nurturing within us a confidence in God's unbreakable love for us and a welcoming love for others. So, so first today, the Spirit assures us that we belong to God by creating within us a deep assurance of faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. He who brought us back into the family of God. But but secondly, the Spirit assures us that we belong to God by nurturing within us a confidence in God's unbreakable love for us and a welcoming love for others. Verses 17 and 18 are perhaps some of the most profound verses in the entirety of the New Testament. And because we're too busy in mind and heart, we often don't recognize these verses for what they're actually saying. But they do address the innermost concerns of the core of our soul. Let me read them again. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. All of us, to one degree or another, carry shame, and all of us, to one degree or another, carry fear of condemnation. And often shame and fear of condemnation do this, that they go together. If people really knew what I was like, they would run away from me. If people really knew what I was capable of, they would hate me. But we know intuitively that God actually knows all those things. There's nothing hidden from him. And we wonder sometimes if we've actually gone over the threshold. We've gone too far where perhaps he he won't love us anymore. He he won't forgive. Or perhaps it shows up in, in this kind of notion. God has to keep his promises because the Bible says he must. But he's probably really displeased with me. God's probably really frustrated with me. God wishes I was somebody different. And as our shame shows up in unspoken words or thoughts of condemnation and thoughts of God being disappointed in us, it stunts us. It keeps us from being free toward one another. It keeps us from enjoying the grace of God. It causes us to, to posture It causes us to to compare. It causes us to judge. And it causes us to live in an isolated sense, trying to keep God at arm's length and one another in the same way. Shame and fear of condemnation course through the veins of all of Adam and Eve's offspring. Having just come through Easter season, the story and details of the crucifixion are fresh on our minds. We run the risk of viewing the crucifixion, however, just as an historical event, something to be pondered upon once per year and then set aside until the next Easter rolls around. But I would challenge you to be often in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that you might understand the Gospel. The good news that the eternal Son of God took on flesh, suffered and died in our stead, and rose again to assure those united to Him by faith that they need never fear death or condemnation. Consider with me, ever so briefly, the sayings of Jesus from the cross because they are fresh on our minds and what they hold for us in regard to shame and condemnation. The first saying from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus pled with his Father to pardon our treasonous, bloodthirsty rebellion. My friends, you need not fear condemnation. Jesus said from the cross, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus assured his enemies that they would share in his kingdom. My friends, you don't have to be afraid of condemnation. Jesus said to John and to his mother Mary, woman, behold your son, behold your mother, son. Jesus reconciles us to one another, creating a holy and countercultural family. You don't have to fear condemnation. Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus underwent the agony of abandonment from his beloved father so that we could relate to him as Abba. My friends, you don't have to fear condemnation. Jesus said from the cross, I thirst. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath dry that we need not fear being justly and eternally punished. My brothers and sisters, we need not fear condemnation. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Jesus paid our debt in full, nailing our record of crimes and transgressions to his cross. My friends, you need not fear condemnation. And lastly, Jesus cried from the cross, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus gave up his life willingly so that we need not fear the consequence of our race's rebellion that consequence being eternal death. My friends, you do not need to fear condemnation. Why has the Spirit been given to us? To assure us that we belong to God. And John is telling us here in the latter portion of verse 16 down through verse 18, that we can have confidence in God's unbreakable love for us. What the Spirit is really doing, according to John in this text, Is creating love within us. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the beginning of verse 22, this fruit of the Spirit. It is not by accident, I believe, that the first thing the Spirit produces within us is love, love for God. We'll talk in just a moment about love for others. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Reminds us here of 1 John 4, 17 and 18. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we call Abba Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So, Prior to the Spirit doing His work within us, what did we fear? Abandonment. What has the Spirit produced within us? A humble, holy confidence that we actually do belong to God. So the Spirit produces within us a confidence that God is for us. But the Spirit does more than that. The Spirit produces within us love, according to Galatians 5.22, that shows up in love for one another. So as we often say here, there's an axis to this. Love comes down to us. It's initiated by God. We love because God first loved us. And then the horizontal axis is we, we love one another. It's the cross, right? The person of Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth to reunite us to God so that we could not only be reconciled to God, but but to each other. And that's what this text proclaims to us. In, In verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then Again, Paul or John ends with these words, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It is quite possible to, to portray the ethic, the, the posture that you love everybody, but in reality, love no one in particular. There are people like that because it's pious sounding to say that you love. But to actually live in reconciling relationships, relationships which are going to cost you, that's the hardest thing of all. Piety won't cut it. John has already told us back in 1 John 3, but if anyone has the world's goods, verse 17, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, verse 18, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, one of the things that that our elders of Berlin Church love about this church is that we consistently see you sacrificing for each other in tangible action. Now, have we done enough? Do we get to to rest on our proverbial haunches and say, it is finished? The answer is a resounding no. No. We are called to a lifelong pursuit of sacrificial love. If the gospel is anything, as we've talked about today, it is the message that God welcomes the unlovely. Now, you may think you are relatively lovely. Now, you would never say that out loud, right? Because that sounds arrogant and pious, but... But you can look around you and notice people around you who are relatively unlovely. Now, maybe not in in their facial features or or in their bodies or whatever, but but you know them well enough to know that that they're pretty unlovely. And let me just disabuse you of the notion they think the same thing about you. We are all pretty unlovely people, capable of all kinds of sinful actions that, that really hurt people. But is the gospel not a message that God welcomes the unlovely? So then how are we to live? John says here in this text that if we say we love God and hate those around us, even if we never verbalize it, we are liars. And in actuality, don't love people or God. John has already gone to great lengths to point out deceit here in 1 John. In 1 John 1.6, he says, if we say we have... Fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if we really belong to him, we'll obey him. In first John 2 4, similar statement Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John's not afraid to throw down the gauntlet. First John 2 22. He moves on from behavior to confession. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, for he who denies the Father and the Son. So, in other words, you're a liar if you say you embrace God and don't embrace His Son that He has sent to be your Savior. But here in this text for us today, in 1 John 4, he goes further. And he says, if you don't love those around you, but proclaim that you love God, you are a liar And so the Spirit assures us that we belong to God, not just by nurturing within us a confidence in God's unbreakable love for us, but also by nurturing within us a welcoming love for others. And this means that love is going to cost you something. So our churches have just merged. We have been through a bit of a honeymoon phase, but guess what is inevitably coming? It might happen in a women's study, maybe. You should have laughed a little bit at that. It might happen in a small group. It might happen in a leadership meeting. It might happen when we make decisions about how we spend our money, or which songs we sing, or how we celebrate certain holidays, or who sits in our seats, or what decisions are made to further the mission of this church, and a host of other things that we probably haven't even thought of yet. What are we going to do then? It won't do us well to simply live on the nostalgia of the past, the moments of honeymoon. In those moments, we must move toward one another when it actually costs us. If the gospel is anything, it's a reminder that God at great cost welcomed us. And the gulf between me and God, between you and God is profoundly distant compared to the infinitesimal distance between us and each other, right? And yet God welcomed us anyway at great cost. And so we are to, at great cost, welcome one another. And then we know, we know when we learn to live like that, that we belong to God because the Spirit's producing that. No one can love like that unless the Spirit produces it. And so I say to you, be willing to love not just when it's easy and not just the lovely, but the unlovely, and, and to love when it's going to cost you something. And in doing so, you embody the person of Jesus to those around you. And that is beautiful, and that is winsome, and that is compelling. And that will help your struggling brothers and sisters who struggle with shame and condemnation because they fear not only that God will cast them off for their many sins, but that you will too. I have many struggles in my life, but one of the greatest struggles of my life is that I fear abandonment. I fear abandonment from God because I know how wicked I am. But I come back to the gospel all the time because I'm reminded therein that he'll never abandon me. And I fear abandoned from people that I will actually do things or say things that they will walk away from me. But what if, what if we were the kind of church that so embraced not only the truth but the beauty of the gospel, that we lived in humble confidence that God will never cast us off, And we live so sacrificially, at great cost toward one another that we don't fear that we will walk away from each other? Do you know what such a church could be in this community? I want to be part of that church and I want you to as well. So as we close, let me give you an evangelistic appeal. If you have not yet trusted this beautiful message of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, who came down to die for you, to make you a child of God, please trust him today. And those of you who already have re embrace this fact and go out to the world this week and tell them, I have a community atmosphere appeal to you this ethic, this kind of atmosphere will only be created if we together embrace the gospel of Jesus and love this way. Only the spirit can nurture this. And so may God be glorified as we embrace what his spirit has come to do to create within us a deep assurance of faith that Jesus Christ is the only savior. And also the spirit has come to nurture within us a confidence in God's unbreakable love for us and to produce within us a welcoming love for others. If you see these things today, be affirmed, be encouraged, and may God continue to grow within us a deep and thankful faith for what he is doing. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, now for the glory of Jesus, for our mutual joy, and for the good of those here today and those whom we will soon encounter this week who belong to nothing other than themselves and this present world, but deeply, intuitively, even if they don't know it, desire to belong to their Creator May you, by your Spirit, do all that in us that is necessary, that Jesus may be lifted up and honored and loved and treasured, and that we and those around us might be transformed by his gracious good news. Do this, we pray, by your Spirit. Amen.